may be seated. There are many questions facing families today, aren't there? In a day in which there is, uh, in a society in which there are disposable marriages, we find ourselves wondering, how will my marriage ever succeed? If I am to marry, why would I marry when all the marriages that I know of eventually come to the end or lose their joy? In a day of moral confusion, we wonder how is it that I could possibly hope to raise up children that love the Lord and live out lives that are ethical, live out lives that are substantive and important in the grand scheme of eternity. In a society that demands so much of our time with ball practice and recitals and lessons and scholarship and ACT classes and on and on and on and on. How is it that I can possibly be able to take all of those things and prioritize them in a helpful way? Because I'm guessing there are families here this morning that you feel like you're in the middle of a tug of war. That everybody is pulling you in every direction and you're trying to figure out how it is that you can possibly navigate those waters. Because everybody says if you don't do this and you don't do this and you don't do this and you don't do this, then you're a failure as a mother and you're a failure as a father and you're a failure as a family. And so you're trying to navigate what the church says and what the pressures you feel from school and the world. You're trying to bring all of that together and figure out how it is that you're possibly going to get to the other side. So in the midst of so many questions, if there were one word that I were to give that of what our families need today, the word would be wisdom. Wisdom. Godly, God-centered, God-fearing wisdom. If we have any hopes of navigating this class 5 rapid of life, it's going to have to be with the guide of wisdom. And so over the next eight weeks, we're going to open up the book of wisdom that we find in our Old Testament called the Proverbs. And from the Proverbs, we're going to take from those several different truths and apply them so that we might live as God-fearing, God-centered families. And so you might think, well, that's only for the young married couples. Well, I'm going to get to you in a minute, okay? I'm going to get to you later on in the sermon. So, so you can't, don't, don't push those brakes, all right? I'm trying to kind of save you from kind of the, the pie on your face later on, all right? So if you're thinking, that's just for the young people here today, I'm going to check out and, and think about what I'm eating for lunch today. Like, just, just hang with me. We're going to take it for the next eight weeks, and we're going to unpack God's Word and what it says and how we might take that wisdom and use it in our lives to help navigate these difficult waters in life. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Proverb 1. Proverb 1. Proverbs is right in the middle of your Bible, so if you aren't really sure where to go, just turn right into the center. If uh, you see Psalms, keep going. Ecclesiastes, keep going. You're almost there, all right? So, all right, stand with me as we read God's word together. Proverb 1, we're going to read the first nine verses together. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight 
to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge, and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his inerrant word this morning. You may be seated. When we come to Proverb 1, I think a helpful way for us to think of it is to think of it as being the prologue for the book. That it is kind of setting it up and kind of giving us kind of some insights on what we need to be looking for in the whole of the book of Proverbs. And so it's giving us kind of some, some basic information that we have to have on the front side if we're going to be able to interpret it properly on the back side. And so in Proverb 1, we learn three basic facts. We learn, first of all, the goals of the book of Proverbs. Then we learn the audience of the book of Proverbs. And then we kind of get the, the thesis of the book of Proverbs, the, the summary statement of the book of Proverbs, the underlying truth beneath it all. So what I want to do is kind of take each of those and kind of unpack them a bit for us this morning. And I think if we'll listen, it'll kind of set us up for the next eight weeks so that we can kind of wrap our brains around it and understand it rightly. So first, let's look at the goals of Proverbs. I think we see these clearly in verse 2, and then they're unpacked a bit in the verses beneath. But verse 2 says, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. So I think if we were to summarize what verse 2 is saying and we were to try to put it in our language so that we can kind of wrap our brains around it, what we might say is that the goal of the book of Proverbs is for us to have godly character for godly living and to have godly clarity through which we might see the world. So it's godly character and godly clarity. First, let's kind of unpack character. I get character from the first part of verse 2 when it says, to know wisdom and instruction. To know wisdom. That, that the goal of the book of Proverbs is that you might gain wisdom. That you might know wisdom. That you might receive instruction. That it might be a gift to you. That you might be, be beneath it and kind of, kind of have it lording over you and speaking truth into your life. And speaking truth into your family. Now, there's an assumption there. And this is an assumption that you need to be sure that you understand and be sure that you don't miss this morning. But the, understood, the understanding, the assumption beneath all of this is that you need wisdom. That you need knowledge. That you need instruction. It's saying it right there. If, it, if the goal of the book is to give you wisdom, the implication is, is that you don't have wisdom. That you don't have it already. That you're in need of it. See, what I want you to understand this morning is that godly wisdom is not natural. True wisdom is not natural. You don't come into this world filled with wisdom. You don't come into life and grow into life just knowing all of the right decisions to make and all of the right turns to take and all of the right things to do. Wisdom is not natural to us. Instead, the book of Proverbs, as we unpack and go throughout the book of Proverbs, instead it says what's natural to us is to be simple. What's natural to us is to be wicked. What's natural to us is to be deceived. 
What's natural to us is to go our own way and to do what is wise in our own eyes. No, wisdom is not natural. It is supernatural. Proverbs 2, James 3, both tell us that wisdom must be given to us by God. That wisdom aren't natural. Wisdom are divine, supernatural gifts given to us by the Lord. And so as we begin to consider all of the the wisdom and the instruction that the scriptures are offering us, I want to caution you for a second. Don't believe for a second that you're going to drift into wisdom. Don't don't believe for a second that that just by living enough years that someday you're going to wake up and you're going to be filled with wisdom and you're going to be a wise person making wise decisions and doing wise things. Wisdom does not come naturally to us. In fact, the whole existence of the book of Proverbs is pointing us to the need for Christ. The fact that we are insufficient. The fact that we don't have all the answers. The fact that we can't figure this out naturally. We can't figure this out as a reflex in living. It's pointing us to the fact that we need wisdom incarnate to come. We need a sufficient one to come and to take our place and to be with us and to supplement our weakness with his almighty strength. All of the book of Proverbs is pointing us to Christ, saying you need one greater than yourself. You need one more righteous than yourself. You need one holier than yourself. You need one wiser than yourself. So don't believe for a second you're just going to drift into wisdom this morning. And don't live your life believing you're going to drift into wisdom. You can be an unwise 70-year-old just like you can be an unwise 17-year-old. No, wisdom is supernatural. We've used that word a lot already, so what does it mean? We're going to talk about it a lot over the next few weeks, so it would probably be a good idea for us to have some kind of understanding of what the word wisdom means. And I think when the book of Proverbs thinks about wisdom, it's thinking about wisdom both theologically and practically. So here's what I think the word wisdom means, just kind of boiling it down to the simplest fact. Wisdom is to know the right thing at the right time and then to do it. Wisdom is to know the right thing at the right time and then to actually do it. You see, wisdom is never idle. Wisdom doesn't, knowledge can be idle. Information can be in your mind and be idle. But wise people, wise people take the knowledge, they take the information and they apply it to their lives. They live it out. So wisdom finds itself in your mind. It starts there, okay? There is this insane dichotomy in our society that says you can be wise but not knowledgeable. And so we say, I don't want to learn anything. I just want to be wise. The book of Proverbs doesn't even know what you're talking about, man. The book of Proverbs, that is a strange concept of the book of Proverbs. Wisdom begins with knowledge, but it does not stop with knowledge. It is knowledge that is then worked out into your life, applied to your life, that comes out. And this is what produces Godly character. This is what godly character is, isn't it? Godly character is taking godly knowledge, applying it in godly ways, and living it out in a godly life. That is godly character. Now what's interesting is the word instruction given to us in verse 2. The word instruction there could actually be translated as the word discipline. Discipline. 
So that's what's in view when it talks about discipline. It's, it's humbling yourself. It's acknowledging that, that I don't really have all of this figured out. I don't really have all of the wisdom that I need to get through my marriage. I don't really have the, all the wisdom that I need to be the parent or the dad, the mom that I need to be. I don't really have all the wisdom to kind of navigate all of the, the difficult waters of life. So I'm going to bring myself beneath instruction. I'm going to, to discipline my, myself to pursue it. I'm going to discipline myself so that I might obtain it. See, the idea of discipline is that godly character is forged through discipline. It's forged through discipline. Nobody likes discipline. Discipline's not fun. Discipline doesn't fire you up. You don't wake up in the morning saying, man, I hope I get to be disciplined today. Man, I really hope I get to kind of bridle back all the things that I want to do so that I can do the things that I must do. I really hope I get to not play golf today so that I can cut my grass. Like, nobody wants to be that guy. But wise people, wise people don't despise discipline. And wise people don't despise instruction. Instead, wise people see instruction and they see discipline as the vehicle through which God is going to forge in them a character that is worth the sacrifice. A character that is worth the cost. If you want to pursue godliness, it's going to take some work on your part. If you want to grow in the scriptures, you know what's going to take for you to grow in the scriptures? To wake up in the morning and read them. You want to have wise knowledge that works its way out into your life. You know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to pursue wise knowledge. It's not going to come to you through osmosis. You're not going to drift into godliness. You're not going to drift into wisdom. And there's a bit of paradox here, isn't there? If, if you've listened closely this morning, and I'm hopeful that you have, you'll notice there's a bit of a paradox that at first, we said what? That wisdom isn't natural, wisdom is God-given. That it must be a divinely given gift. That God has to give you wisdom. And then, we've got to follow that up by saying, you've got to pursue it. You've got to go after it. You've got to work for it. You've got to go and obtain it. And so essentially, here's what we said. There, God has to give you wisdom. You must go and work for wisdom. Here's what I think the book of Proverbs is teaching us through this paradox. That God is pleased to give wisdom to those who earnestly seek it in him. God is pleased to give the gift of divine wisdom and insight to those who earnestly seek him for it. That if you will go day after day after day and you will bring yourself low before the Lord and say, Lord, teach me from your word. Lord, teach me through your church. Lord, teach me through your spirit. I want wisdom. I need wisdom. Would you give me the wisdom that as part of his daily portion of grace to you, he will give you the wisdom you need in that day to accomplish what you need to accomplish. And I believe this goes down to the most practical things. That he will give you the day that the... the what you need in that day to deal with a colicky baby. Can I just get an amen from a mama in here? You ever just needed divine wisdom to get you through a colicky baby? Because we have it at my house. When you're looking at your wife and she's looking at you and you just want to rip each other's hair out, right? Like, what's going down with this child? Like, I've been like borderline calling the pastors for an exorcism before. You know what I'm saying? But I believe that if every single day we are bowing ourselves before the Lord, 
that even in the most minute things, even in the smallest things, that is a gift of his grace as a God who is not just in the big picture, but that is in the details, that he will give us in his daily portion of grace the wisdom and the grace and the knowledge that we need to survive such things. And so you know what godly people do? Godly people pursue wisdom. Godly people go after. They don't just say, I'm going to obtain it. They don't just say that God's going to give it to me as a gift. No, godly people go after wisdom. Godly people go after it in all of the areas of life. There's a vagueness to verses 3 and 4, isn't there? I believe 3 and 4 are kind of intended to illustrate this wisdom and instruction in verse 2. It says, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness and justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, These are vague words. It's talking about just everything in life. And so here's what wise people do. Wise people go to the Lord and they seek wisdom in the Lord in every arena of their life. God, help me be a godly and wise husband. Help me to be a godly and wise wife. If I'm going to own a business, how might I own a business in a godly and wise way? Help me to think about sex in a godly and wise way. Help me to think about the world in a godly and wise way. It's every arena of their life. It's their their dating, it's relationships, it's friendships, it's sex, it's business, it's family. It's everything encapsulated in this. You see, life is filled with character tests, isn't it? Life is filled with character tests. And these tests you can't cram for. These tests depend upon accumulated wisdom over periods of years that the Lord has providentially placed in your path so that when the test comes, you will be ready to pass it. You can't hope that when your child comes home in the throes of rebellion that all of a sudden you're going to get wisdom in that moment. You can't hope that the the day that your paycheck dries up, that in that moment, all of a sudden, you can take a, a crash course in wise practice. No. Wisdom is gained through pursuit and discipline and instruction day after day after day. It's over and over and over, humbling yourself before the Lord, saying, give it to me. Let me have your word. Let me have your wisdom. Let me know what to do as all of the struggles and storms of life beat against my house. Brothers and sisters, pursue wisdom. Pursue wisdom. That God might develop in you the character that you need to live out this world, live out your life in a stormy world. The second goal that he gave us there was the goal of clarity. I get this from the second part of verse 2 when he says, to understand words of insight. Then down in verse 6 he says, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. He is saying that that we might see the world as it really is. That we might see the truth and appreciate it as it truly is. It is to see what is unobvious to everybody else that is obvious to you. you. It's to be able to kind of cut through all of the makeup of the world and all of the masks of the world. Be able to slice through that to see the world as it really is. I think this is most beautifully illustrated in what he says in verses 8 and 9. 
Listen to what he said. This is Mother's Day, so let's just focus on what he says about the mama, right? Y'all like that? Let's just focus on what he says about the mama. Forsake not your mother's teaching. And all the mothers said, Amen. Forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head. Here's what I think he's saying. Why is it that you should prioritize the teaching of your mother? Why is it that you should listen closely and apply the instruction of your mom and the wisdom of your mom, even when to you it sounds absolutely ludicrous? Why is it that you should listen to that? Because she might have some insight. She might have some insight. You see, the child says, man, this looks like fun today. And I'm going to do this today. And today's going to be a party. And today's going to be a blast. I can't wait to experience today and to live out today and to remember today. And the mom says, but what about 60 years from now? What you do today matters in a decade and matters in two decades and matters in five decades. The mom says, I'm not so much concerned with you having a good time right now. I'm concerned with you having a good life for 50 years. And so with her own scars to prove it, with the wrinkles on her face and the gentleness in her voice, she says, my son, my daughter, would you just listen to me? I know this seems like the greatest thing you've ever seen. I know that you think you're missing out. Everybody else is having a party and you're just at home being lame. But would you listen to me because I've got some insight. I can see a little farther than you can see. I can see a little clearer than you can see. Would you listen to me for a second? And I promise you that if you will listen to me, your crown is going to last longer than a day. My crown is going to rest gracefully upon your head over a 50-year marriage, not a five-minute date. See, the only way that our families are going to survive the bait-and-switch culture of our society is if we have clear, God-given insight into reality. We live in a culture that says, look at how shiny this is. Look at how much fun this is. Look at what a party this is. And they lure our families into them, and then they crash them over the head with a bill every single month. We live in a culture that says if your kid can just get enough scholarships, if your kid can just get enough degrees, if your kid can just get enough education, then all of their dreams will come true and all of their problems will melt away. Brothers and sisters, is it any wonder that we live in an age of intellectual giants and moral infants? It is because we have forsaken our children By laying them on an altar that the world has built while abandoning the wisdom of the Lord. It is because we have not had enough insight and foresight to see through all of the mirage to the reality. Brothers and sisters, if you are going to survive, if your marriage is going to make it, if your children are going to make it, you are going to need insight. Go after it. Go after it. Pursue it. Don't bite. 
the advertisement and marketing of the world. Humble yourself beneath the instruction of the word. Humble yourself beneath the instruction of wiser saints. Humble yourself so that you might not just look five minutes ahead, but 50 years ahead. So the goals of character and clarity. The audience, the, this is the to whom the book is written, to whom it is intended, is kind of a twofold audience as well. The first we see in verse 4 to give prudence to the simple. To give prudence to the simple. That the first audience, perhaps even we might say the main audience that the book of Proverbs appeals to, are to the simple. The simple are a main character found throughout the book of Proverbs. We're going to see it time and time and time again. So who are the simple? When the, Proverbs, when the, when the authors of, Proverbs, of the Proverbs give us the simple, they are talking about people that are naive. They're talking about people that are easily swayed, people that, that kind of are blown to and fro. Proverbs 14.5 says that the simple believe anything. They believe anything. So an example of what a simple-minded person would say is they're the kind of person that whatever argument they're hearing at the time is the argument that they buy and believe. So a simple person might have one friend that comes up to him and says, man, if you would just try this drug, like it is going to make your night unbelievable. And I promise it's safe, it's fine, it's no big deal. I take it all the time. Look at me. Look how awesome I am, right? Like, I am fine. Do you, do you see this? you see my brain on crack with the egg? Like, you, do you see all that going on with me? No. I got girls. I, life is good. Follow me. Drug is fine. Don't believe all the buzz, right? And that sounds convincing to the simpleton. And then they have another friend that comes up to them. We might call them the wiser friend. But comes up and says, no, man, I promise you do not want to try that. I did that this one time. And like, dude, like, I just didn't sleep for like four days. Like, you don't want to do that. Like, I know we want to have a good time, but you don't want to do that. And so then they're swayed the other way, right? It's the person that they're just convinced by every argument that they hear. They don't have the wisdom to navigate life. They don't have the wisdom to discern between what is fact and what is fiction. What is true and what is untrue. What is helpful and what is destructive. And so, Proverbs 27, 12 says that the prudent sees danger and takes cover, but the simple go on and suffer for it. They suffer for it. That simple people that never take the time to humble themselves and obtain wisdom, simple people who never receive instruction, keep going. They see the same things that the wise person saw, that the prudent person saw, but they don't have the clarity and the character to apply it to their lives. And so they go on until ultimately they are destroyed. The assumption of the book of Proverbs is that if a simpleton keeps on in his simple-mindedness, he will ultimately find his destruction. So this book is addressed to them, saying, don't stay simple. Don't stay naive. Don't stay misinformed. Instead, come and drink from the fountain. Come to the word. Come to the instruction. Come to the wisdom of, of saints before you that you might hear the truth, that you might cut through the mirage and see the reality. Come and look at what it's got to say. See, that's the first step of wisdom. That's always the first step of wisdom. 
The first step of wisdom is realizing that you need wisdom. The first wise step any person will ever take in their life is the step to say, I am insufficient. I don't have the answers. I don't know how I'm going to navigate the next 50 years. And so let me bring myself beneath somebody else's instruction. Let me bring myself beneath the instruction of the Lord. That's the first step of wisdom. And the hope is is that you do this younger rather than older. The hope is is that you realize this before your marriage is in the intensive care unit. For whatever reason, that's when I find most people are are ready to receive some instruction. That's when most people are finally willing to acknowledge that they need help. Most people don't acknowledge they need help until the helicopter has crashed into the ground and they're pouring blood out of every part of their body. Then they say, well, somebody help me. They never took the time to say, somebody teach me how to fly the helicopter. This morning, I'm praying for some young daddies. We got a lot of them. I'm praying for some young daddies that say, you know what, I don't have the answers. I need some men in my life farther along than me that will disciple me and teach me what it means to be a man. I'm praying for some young mamas. We got a lot of them. That you would finally say, you know what, I really don't have all this figured out. I really am at the end of the rope. I, I know I've always got a smile on my face. I know it looks like I've got it together. I know everybody's kind of using me as the measuring stick for everybody else. But I need help. I need somebody that's been there before that can walk me through the scriptures, that can walk with me as I pursue the Lord. I need somebody to help me so that I, I can navigate this thing. I'm praying for some teenagers That they would wake up and they would realize they need their parents' instruction. That the counsel of their mother is a a garland, a graceful garland on their head. That they might avoid the destruction that faces the simpleton. I'm praying that some of you would begin to take first steps of wisdom. Now, I think this is especially addressed to one group of people. The youth. The youth. See... When you read Proverbs, you should typically read them as being two parallel lines. So in other words, both lines are saying the exact same thing, just in perhaps completely different language, right? And so what is the other, what is the other word given for the simple in verse 4? The youth. The youth. Now listen, I know that the teenagers and the youth in here, you hear me say that and you begin to roll your eyes. You might not do it because I'm looking at you to my face, but in your heart, I know you're rolling your eyes. And I want to caution you because all you're doing is proving what it says. You see, the book of Proverbs was primarily written for young men and young women, children. This is what, this is what kings used to train up the children in the, in the royal court. In the royal court. This is what they used to train up the children of Israel so that Israel wouldn't go off the rails, right? So this is written for you. And this is written for us. Because you see, in the day that these were written, they didn't believe that children should learn from other children. Children didn't spend all of their time with other children in this day. No, you know where a son was found all the time? Not running around with the other boys. A son was found with his dad and the other men so that he might learn what it meant to be a man. You know where the little girls were found? 
not running amok. They were found with their mothers and the other women learning what it meant to be a woman. Understanding what it looks like, what it means, what it's meant to be all, all together. How opposite is our culture? How opposite is our churches? We take all of the simple-minded and we put them in a room together. And we say, just figure it out. Maybe we give them one wise person, but they're talking to each other so loudly they can't hear a word he's saying to begin with. And they're so simple-minded that there's nobody there to say, shut up and listen. And then we take all of the wise people and they go to the other side of the church and they eat biscuits and tell stories. Is there any reason, is there any wonder why ours is a day of complete gender confusion? Is there any wonder that our men work at their play and play at their work? Is there any wonder that all of our men are more focused on fantasy sports and Xbox than they are on leading and walking with the Lord? Could it be that they learn manhood from boys? No wonder our girls think being a diva is a virtue. Could it be that they have learned womanhood from girls? What happens when a fool seeks advice and counsel from a fool? You get foolish advice. What happens when a 15-year-old seeks a 15-year-old's counsel for issues of life regarding sex and dating and relationships and life? You get a 15-year-old's foolish opinion. What does she need? She needs her mother. She needs the women in the church. Iron City, let it not be said of us. Let it not be said of us. Let us take our senior adult ministry and cross it with our student ministry. Let it not be said of us that we have pacified the simple with pizza and games while the wise are in another room on the opposite side of the church eating biscuits and telling stories. We've got to bring them together. We've got to bring them together so that they can avoid this. And the implication here, young people, listen up to me, teenagers. Listen up to me, young married couples. Listen up to me, young mom. Listen up to me, young dad. The implication here is that you must be teachable. You must be teachable. You must be willing to receive the instruction of someone older than you. You must have the humility to bring yourself beneath their instruction. Now, that I've said that, I know there are some older folks in here doing some internal fist bumps. Go get them, man. Tell them, Cody. Tell them young whippersnappers what's up. And while you're at it, tell them to bend their doggone hats. And you should bend your hats, I'm just saying. You should bend your hats. How does that help with the sun? I, I mean, I can't even get there, but whatever. I hope you take a fly ball right to the snozz. But before you jump on, listen to what it says to you. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. Let the wise hear an increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. See, here's the thing about wise people. Wise people never believe that they are wise enough. 
Wise people always want to pursue and gain more wisdom because they understand their own insufficiency still. And the more wisdom they have, the more they understand it. And the truth is that I've found that as you grow in age, as you mature in life, that one of two things happens. Either your heart becomes hardened and you become grouchy and you become withdrawn and you don't want to help anybody or your heart becomes softer and you become more gracious and you become softer, able to, to counsel these Young simpletons. So if I tell them they must be teachable, I must tell you to remain teachable. Remain teachable. Grow in wisdom. We don't need just the wisdom you had from yesterday. We need the wisdom the Lord has for you today and for tomorrow. We need you to show us what it means to live a God-centered retirement. We need that. We need to see what it is like to have two generations sowing the gospel into the child's heart. We need to see that. We need to know that at the light at the end of the tunnel, when, when our kids empty the nest, that our marriages can still be a source of joy. We need that, y'all. We need that. So remain teachable and lead us in that. It breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. When we have a marriage conference, and everybody who's been married more than four months says, I've been married too long for that. I don't need that. There's a lack of wisdom in that. It is possible for the once wise to become hardened fools. Pursue wisdom. Remain teachable. And then we come to verse 7, the thesis statement of the whole book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. What does that mean? What does it mean to fear the Lord? I think we, we have lots of images. I think that's been abused a lot in the world, in the, in the history of the church. Here's what it does not mean. Fearing the Lord does not mean having a dread toward God the way that you dread running into a speed trap on Chakalaka. That's not the picture. The word fear here means to be in awe of, to be, have a reverent understanding, to, be, to, to revere the Lord, to be awestruck by the Lord, to be aw, so awestruck by his supremacy that you tremble at the thought of his presence. It's to fear how the world would be, how you would be, who you would be if you were apart from the Lord. It's to understand who you are in relation to who he is. It's to be humbled, to be broken. Martin Luther said it was not, it's not like carnal fear, not like the fear that you have for your boss, not like the fear you have for some cosmic bully. Instead, it's filial fear. It's like the fear that a son has for his father. It's a respect that he has, that he wants, and he begins to emulate himself like him because he thinks this is the strongest man I've ever seen, and he admires him, and he pursues him, and he goes after him. And so instead of, of it pushing the, the boy away from his father, it actually draws him close to his father. This is what it means to fear the Lord. It means to be so awestruck by him, to be, be so completely disenfranchised with the idea of what it would be to be separated from him that you want to be as close to him as you can possibly be. And so it's you passionately seeking intimacy over and over and over, wanting to emulate him and to honor him and to be near him. And it says this is the beginning of wisdom. 
not beginning like the start of a race. This isn't you launching out from the starting line and leaving it behind as you get to all the practical stuff of the faith. Too many Christians think of it like that. Too many Christians say, all right, now that I'm saved, now that I've been baptized, can we got to leave all of the theology back here and get to the practical stuff? Like, show me how to actually live. That's not the picture of Proverbs. No, it's not like a starting line. It's like the foundation of a house. It's there the whole time. It's the underpinning of everything that is there. It is what secures every reality. It is what causes every ethical living. It's underneath all of it. It's like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. And I believe this is what he had in his mind. Jesus said, if, if any man hears these words of mine and then does them, he is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the storms came and beat against his house... His house did not fall. Do you want your house to stand or do you want your house to fall? If your house is not going to fall, then you're going to have to put down the Facebook blogs and pick up the instruction of the Lord. If you want your house not to fall, then you're going to have to see the beauty pageants and travel ball as being irrelevant and intimacy with God as being indispensable. If you want your house not to fall, we need men to stand up as men of God and say, I'm going to put down the television remote and I'm going to pick up my Bible and I'm going to pursue wisdom in the Lord. Do you want your house to stand or do you want your house to fall? Because brothers and sisters, I can promise you the storms are coming. The storms are coming. If they haven't hit yet, they're going to hit. Look at some of our seasoned saints. Look at some of those that are a little further along in life and ask them about the scars of life. Ask them about the struggles of life. They are coming. Will your house stand or will your house fall? The warning is in what he says in the second part of verse 7. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. He's saying the same thing but in different language, right? The opposite of wisdom is to be a fool who doesn't have time for wisdom, who's inconvenienced by instruction, who just wants to wing it and figure it out. In other words, the fool is not apathetic nor indifferent toward wisdom. The fool hates it. The fool despises it. And the decision facing every single one of our families this morning, and indeed the, the decision facing every single Christian in this room this morning, is will you be wise or will you be normal? Will you be wise or will you be normal? Because wisdom is abnormal in a corrupted world. Normal is to give your life to travel ball. Normal is to spend all of your money on yourself, accumulating for yourself as many toys as you can possibly accumulate. Normal is to prioritize education above everything else. Normal is to move the church, if at all, to the margins of your life. Normal, normal is to pursue the American dream over the Proverbs wisdom. But to be wise... Is to be as opposite from those as Christ is from the world. It is to pursue not obtaining, but giving. Not but getting, but going. Intimacy over education. 
Not that education's bad, but it's not first. It's not the priority. Will you be just another normal American family? Or will you be wise? Because, brothers and sisters, you can't be both. You can't give your children everything that their, their, their friends have at school and honor the scriptures. You can't. You can't have everything that your neighbors have and honor the scripture. You can't. You can't be the mother that the Facebook blogs say you should be and at the same time fear the Lord. You can't. So decide this morning. Choose this day whom you will serve. Will you be normal or will you be wise? Let me pray for us today. Heavenly Father, sometimes your word rests heavily upon us. Sometimes it feels like it's too much to carry and too much to bear. And we are reminded in those moments that it is. And that's why Christ came. Christ came so that we might be yoked to him. So that we might be connected to him. So that we might be able to overcome our own weakness through his sufficient strength. And So this morning we are not left in despair. Instead we are left thankful that Christ has come. The spirit has filled us and now we pursue wisdom. Father, I pray for our young marrieds. I pray for our young parents. I pray for our teenagers. I pray for our seasoned saints, Lord, that you would work in their hearts, work in their lives, and draw them to yourself. Move in us now. In Christ's name, amen.